Welcome to our Mindfulness Podcast. Each week we will have a different podcast, different speakers, different chants, different Dharma talks. But mindfulness practice in Buddhism helps us focus and helps us be aware. And this program will consist of many different ways of meditating. We usually begin with bowing or gasho, then we prepare to sit, and we will sit for approximately 10 minutes. And then we will either stand and walk for another five minutes to kind of get blood into our legs again and and, uh, relax our muscles. And then we'll sit for another 10 approximately. And then we will chant, which is another form of meditation. Uh, We focus on the characters and we pronounce the sounds as a group. And it's a kind of a ritual of oneness. And then after that, we'll have a short Dharma talk of about five to 10 minutes. And then we'll close with Gasho. And this also includes offering incense. We offer incense, but you could also light the incense before the service starts. And this is kind of the program uh, of how our meditation services proceed. And so we will be getting underway today uh, with our program. Thank you very much. The Golden Chain I am a link in Amita's golden chain of love that stretches around the world. I will keep my link bright and strong. May I be kind and gentle to every living thing and protect all who are weaker than myself. May I think pure and beautiful thoughts, say pure and beautiful words, and do pure and beautiful deeds. May every link in Amida's golden chain of love be bright and strong, and may we all attain perfect peace. In the story of the larger sutra, The Bodhisattva declares his 48 vows, things which must be fulfilled if he is to attain perfect enlightenment. Immediately after declaring the vows, he speaks in verse. These are the verses we call Jusege. He says, I will unfailingly attain supreme enlightenment. I will save all the destitute and afflicted everywhere, and my name will be heard throughout the universe. Let's chant the Jusege. Gagon cho se gan, he she jo do, she gan fu man zo, se fu jo sho ga, ga o mu yo ko, fu yi dai se shu, Oh, 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 oh. 
Please put your hands together in Gasho. Bow. Namo Amidabutsu. Namo Amidabutsu. Namo Amidabutsu. Namandabutsu. 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 A spiritual exercise. I have a book in my office titled, Was Hinduism Invented? I love that title. It's so provocative. The author, Brian K. Pennington, is challenging the very notion of religion as a category. In the 1800s, when the British entered India, they discovered a variety of practices that were based upon a set of texts, the Vedas and the Upanishads. These texts and practices together qualified Hinduism to be identified as a religion. This also occurred with Buddhism. It is also a set of practices with a well-defined set of texts. Again, Buddhism looked like a religion to the British. So for better or for worse, Buddhism was also identified as a member of this growing category of great world religions. Scholars now see Buddhism as a term for a very general umbrella of related practices rather than a codified set of religious teachings. It is also interesting that this is how the British saw yoga as a set of practices, even though it is also based upon a collection of texts called the Pantanjali Sutras, but perhaps this wasn't as apparent as in the case of Hinduism and Buddhism. Thus, yoga was not considered a world religion. In America, these trends have continued. We think of Buddhism as a religion and yoga as an exercise. In India, these were not thought of as two different practices, but they have been in the West. I think this is why I often get why and what questions while my wife, Linda, a yoga instructor, gets how questions. I'm asked, what are we doing and why are we doing it? While Linda is asked, how do we do this pose? I need to be asked how, and Linda needs to be asked why and what. 
When Buddhism is conceptualized as a religion, then we tend to appreciate it as a set of doctrines and philosophies that need to be understood and believed in. I rarely get how questions, even though these are very important concerns, when bowing, chanting, and even listening to the Dharma. Without knowing the how, then we can often miss the importance of Buddhist practice. But this isn't all bad. Being considered a religion also means that people are seeking something spiritual. They come to Buddhism with the ultimate concerns of life. They are looking for something that transcends our normal way of thinking. They want to find authentic meaning and happiness in their everyday lives, here and now. There is an urgency to their practice, which is very valuable. I wouldn't want to give this up. It is a real benefit of being thought of as a religion. Yoga has the opposite problems and benefits, since it is seen as an exercise. The main problem is students don't seek the why and what of their practice. They tend to focus on the physical changes rather than the psychological ones. For example, yoga is a deep spiritual practice where the body and mind become united. It is meditation through sound and movement. You should think of each yoga pose as a full body mudra. When we focus on the physical, we worry only about how flexible we are and what poses we can achieve, which is the opposite of what is really important. We actually get more out of yoga when we are not naturally limber. It takes no focus breathing, or concentration for a contortionist to touch their toes. It is for the person who is tight and really develops an awareness of their mind and body. They must hold in their mind the current position of their bodies. They must stop thinking and be totally immersed. But the benefit of being seen as exercise is that Linda never has to bring out a whiteboard with schematics that illustrate the intellectual justification for a yoga practice. Her students are motivated and trust both the tradition and teacher as beneficial to their lives. I have really learned a lot about Buddhism by practicing yoga. Yoga is not really Hindu either. It predates both Hinduism and Buddhism by thousands of years. It is likely that the Buddha practiced some form of yoga during his six years of practice before realizing awakening. When I first began yoga, I competed with those around me. It was not only exercise for me, but also a sport one in which I had to win. This is one of the reasons there are so few men in yoga. There are several essays on the internet asking, where are all the men? We are not there because it does not come natural to us, and we have not yet realized that it is a real advantage for our practice. I didn't begin to make progress in yoga until after I had given up trying. I just relax now into the poses and let them do their work on me. This is other power yoga. I no longer compete or calculate. I am no longer chasing a pose. This was the light bulb that went off for me one night, and it has carried over into my practice of Buddhism. I no longer try, and I no longer try to engage with it as a teaching in an academic sense. Now I listen and chant and bow as if in yoga. I let it work on me rather than trying to understand it and grasp it as a creed or doctrine. Buddhism and yoga are both profound spiritual practices and exercises that are transformative. In the West, I am not sure what to call that. Perhaps we just don't have a category for them yet. Please join me in Gasho. Namandats, 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 Namandats. Selected Sayings
Number 25. The faults of others are easy to see, but our own faults are difficult to recognize. If one sees that he has a fault, he must realize that the fault must be very grave indeed for him to recognize it himself. Thus, he must take steps to correct his fault. Because it is difficult for us to see many of our faults, we should listen to the advice of others. From Renyo Shonin. Please put your hands together in gasho and bow. Namo Amidabuts, Namo Amidabuts, Namo Amidabuts, Namo Amidabuts, Namo Amidabuts. This concludes this podcast. I hope you feel grounded. I hope you feel different than when you began. And this feeling you have, I hope you take it with you out into your everyday life. It's important to develop these qualities in a controlled environment like this podcast. But the aim is for the effects to begin to bleed out into your everyday life naturally. My wife once sent me a meme on Facebook that said, yoga works, but only if you show up. And I feel that way about Buddhism and about meditation. It surely works, but only if you stick with it. And you have to get to the point where it becomes something natural and effortless in your life. And if you have high expectations and you're trying to rush the process, you actually retard your ability to change over time. You don't want to grasp it. You don't want to hang on to it. You just want to experience it in a regular practice and integrate it into your everyday life. So thank you very much for coming. I will close with Gasho. Hands together and we will bow. Today's program was presented by Reverend John Turner, Reverend Ellen Crane, and Minister's Assistant James Pollard. Executive Producers Reverend John Turner and Jim Scott. Produced by the Buddhist Education Center of Orange County Buddhist Church, Anaheim, California, USA. Directed and engineered by Reverend John Turner. Edited by Jim Scott. This program includes excerpts from Time Stood Still by Riley Lee, used with permission. This program is copyright 2020, Orange County Buddhist Church, Anaheim, California, USA. All rights reserved. For more information about this or other podcasts, groups, and activities, BCE classes, or temple services, visit us on the web at ocbuddhist.org.